Hello there, this is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you on a somewhat cloudy day, but it's still a beautiful day, a wonderful day to be alive. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender show, it's about bartending, Keys life, and life in general. So, uh, to get back, I'm not going to spend a predominant amount of time, but I will, I guess I will at the end of the show. I'm not going to be talking about the event, I'm going to be talking about my perspective from the uh, my experiences uh, about five days ago. So, but I also want to call this episode, I guess it's metaphorical. It's called new equipment. But that has to do with bars and how to, uh, you know, how to incorporate and how important it is to incorporate new equipment, new ideas, and not to fear change in, you know, incorporating new processes and, well, there's a new process when you have new equipment and there's new systems and things like that. But I, I'm just going to put it new equipment in there and metaphorical, I guess that is because considering I got new equipment in there, I don't really have to do anything. Well, I guess I have to do things differently, but I want to talk about that. Also, um, the keys, once again, like I said before, um, even though things may happen to me, things may happen to people around me, the keys are uh, in the midst of our busy season. It's kind of midway through the spring break season here. We still have another three and a half weeks, I think. And we'll see what happens because... Those three and a half weeks usually coinciding with Easter weekend being the end. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean here in the Keys that things will slow down. When I first came down here in 2007 and I started uh, bartending at a popular place that's no longer open. But they had said there was a very specific beginning and end to the season. They talked about. Christmas being uh, between the time between Christmas and New Year's being Hell Week. And uh, that actually was really extended. It seemed like it. You know, we still have uh, it picked up after Christmas, but it went for at least maybe two weeks after Christmas up until like January 7th. And then they said right around Valentine's Day, February 14th, to uh, the Easter and then with a bump going on all the way through on the weekends through Mother's Day. Now, since then, since 2007, they said there was a, a kind of a little more growth in business. It wasn't as slow. Uh, we still had a traditional slow periods in August, September, October, November. But it seemed like the other months picked up. And then we had other corresponding events like Irma, COVID. And when we opened up uh, after COVID, when a lot of different parts of the United States weren't reopened or as accessible as other places, we seemed to be a lot busier. Even with the premium, there is no hiding. There's no sugarcoating this one statement. Uh, And everyone's pretty much caught on. The keys are very expensive. 
they are very expensive. And it's expensive for people um, to come here, but it's also expensive for people to live here. So the, those costs are passed on. Uh, affected like uh, many other places in the United States, real estate has gotten very dear down here. It's really crazy. Some of the places you just think you can get a palatial mansion in, in many places in the United States, what you'd pay for a you know, brand new um, 2-1, or forget about it, 3-2. You could get a really big, big estate someplace that you would um, pay for, the price you'd pay for down here there. But we're not talking about today. What I was talking about was the new equipment. I want to start out with the new equipment. And one of the big things, you know, new equipment could be anything. It could be a new keg system, a, you know, uh, a nitrogen system with kegs or a, a wine dispensing system. It could be um, a liquor uh, apportioning system, which you have out there where they mix those, where you they kind of regulate that. And they all, all these things have a great thing uh, for the restaurant, even though initially it's a huge upfront cost and it does change the way you you deal with it. But some of these systems they use for, uh, well, actually, you don't use nitrogen as much for the uh, beer systems, but um, it reduces cost in the long run. That's usually that it's time, cost, and inventory control. And, you know, a lot of people, if you're a bartender, when you hear about inventory control, it's kind of like a bugaboo question. Because inventory control means, hey, you son of a bitch, stop overpouring the drinks. You know, well, as a, uh, if you're an owner of a, a bar restaurant, you got to control your portions. You got to know it. First of all, it's a responsible thing to do when you're serving someone. You know, if someone real, sometimes people say, I can have three drinks. Now, if you're overpouring them, you're giving them doubles instead of singles. They can end up having five drinks instead of three. And that just throws their whole system out of whack. Some people are, are just, I'm, I'm usually good with three drinks over two hours. But if you're pouring extra heavy, then you're going to be, you know, that person couldn't, may not be gauging their intake. And also the bottom line, you know, you got to pay for that liquor too. You have an expectation for that. So controlling that inventory, it helps you with your ordering, streamline your ordering when you have those uh, beverage consult, uh, control systems. So anytime you see something like that, don't automatically think it's bad for you. Actually, if it increases profitability and helps the bottom line, there's also always the possibility of being able to say, well, listen, I'm working to incorporate these changes and things like that. Maybe I can see a little beneficial in the, uh, benefit in the things I, you know, in the way I earn in my earnings. And there's a way, you know, you can incorporate that. And there's the other ones. There's uh, there's uh, multi, you know, multi-speed mixers and things like that. People are enemies. The bartenders have in, in a lot of bars the frozen drinks. Or a pain in the ass. I always, I always felt that in the beginning. Now, I don't see it as much because I just got used to using the blender. You know, there's just a certain where we are. There's a certain 
Unfortunately, we don't have like a ton of people ordering frozen drinks all the time, but sometimes you may get like four or five people ordering frozen drinks and you just one, we have one blender. Boom, boom, boom. You make those drinks. You just got to get your order of operation down. I spoke about that in the different things, but if, if you got to, oh, I'm going to pause this as my sister's talking. Come on. I'll be right back. Oh gosh, I got to remember what I was talking about. I was off on a phone call for I don't know how long. But I was talking about a, I guess a measure pour system and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we got ourselves at uh, new equipment wise. Sometimes new equipment is just easy because if you get a new beer cooler and it stays cold and the hookup's neat and, if you, and your beer's coming out and you're wasting less beer. That's actually all positive. There's no downside to that. But, you know, you have a new setup. So when people fear change. And one of the biggest fears of change is a change in POS systems. Now, if you're a place doesn't have a POS system, and that's point of sales. Um, let me tell you some of the wonderful things about that. It streamlines everything. You mean you don't have to worry about abbreviations and things like that. Yes, there's an initial cost for setting up a POS system. But for bars, restaurants, especially bars that have you know a service station where you serve drinks to um, your you know servers and you have a kitchen. So when you put in your order, it goes in. I know it's going to be redundant to people that use it. It sounds crazy. But you, it, it uses a set standard for abbreviations. You can hold back your appetizers. You can split checks. It maintains an inventory because obviously if you're going to order, let's say, 15 mahi sandwiches, there's an average of quantity sizes you for mahi. And if you use like three ounces per mahi sandwich, then you know with 15, there is 45 ounces, which works out to a little under three pounds. So that's your inventory. And you'll know how many shots of, if you're pouring preactively, how many shots of Jack Daniels, how many draft beers you had. Boop, boop, boop. As long as people are taking track of that. And Bevo's split your checks, process the checks. It just streamlines everything and slows things down. And time is money. Efficiency is money. Inventory is money. Everything is money. Portion control. You can realize and say, oh, you know, after a while, you're going to say, you know what? We had 20 cheeseburgers go out. Or let's say 20 cheeseburgers were supposed to be half pound cheeseburgers. And we actually went through 15 pounds of ground meat. And you can say, well, and you can say, well, this usually, you know, cooks down and says, no, what you're doing with those burgers is you're using, you're supposed to use about a half pound. Obviously, you know, you want to air, you know, plus or minus a half ounce, let's say, or an ounce. I don't think you should go more than that. And it cooks down some. But, you know, 15, uh, an extra five pounds, 50% over usage is something you have to look into. Either someone's not... Uh, putting in their orders or there's someone, you know, maybe throwing it out or wasting that stuff or using too big of portions. So all those things work. And when there's a bottom line, a bottom line, and everyone has a bottom line, there's a cost. You ever hear the term a rising tide raises all ships? Well, 
when the business you work for is profitable, that makes them more fiscally healthy. And the more fiscally healthy and they're able to do things, they're able to, you know, update their decor, their bathrooms, everything. They're able to give um, more benefits, more, you know, higher wages to people and stuff like that. You can see and, and you can see how uh, you can measure how much of performance uh, someone is doing, how they do it like per sales. They can say, wow, this person comes in, their check average is uh, 20% higher than everyone else. We can't really get rid of this person. And the items they over, and you can see the items that they sell. And they said, the check's higher. And actually the things they sell have a higher profit margin. And you can look at it. When you look at it and it's there, you can say, well, I'm worth this much more than other people. And you know, that's a, that's a gift. When you're able to say, I know, yeah, it's not necessarily a good thing to say you're better than someone else. But in order, in the real world, when you're working, you have to have a tangible measurement to see how your performance is. If you want to really see, you can see here how people say they like you and stuff like that. But, you know, you can have tons of people that say they like you. But if your check average is 50%, whatever someone else is, and the people are saying how much they love you and stuff like that. But the other person over there who doesn't get a ton of people is bringing in twice as much revenue working the same amount of time. Then you got to think, well, we can't really square that circle. Oh, yeah, that person says they love you, them and stuff like that, but they don't make as much. So there's, there could be something wrong in the way they're selling or there could be something even something less endearing. So I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. So change is not always a bad thing. New equipment is nothing to be feared. It makes you more nimble, faster, efficient, things like that. It's great for business. Um, let me get back to what I'm saying. I didn't say I was going to talk about, but since it's new equipment, uh, earlier today, I was talking to the wife and the wife was in the gym where the, um, a, um, arterial uh, fibrillation occurred. I think it's called it arterial fibrillation. And they said they were talking to some, one of the nurses and the nurse said that I was out for seven minutes. And that means I wasn't breathing for seven minutes. I didn't know that. I thought four minutes and I thought I maybe was straining it when I'm mean, stuff like that. And I'm not trying to say it to try to, endear myself to the listeners and stuff like that. And they said, are you afraid about hearing about it and all that stuff? I said, well, you know, it's funny about that. Um, seven minutes. I don't recall any of it. I don't recall coming out of it when they started moving me over to the emergency room. So I really can't speak to that. I can speak to the fear I felt. And as I said yesterday, my biggest fear was the cost of the helicopter flight. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to afford this? Oh, or I'm ruining my family. And I, I thought a little of that. And then I started thinking about, wow, my life really changed. How am I going to work? What's going to, what am I going to do? Am I going to be able to work out? Am I going to become prematurely old? I knew. I always talked about this in the last 
year. I'm going to be 60 years old in a couple months. But I was relatively fit. I was relatively fit. And I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm still holding by the thing I'm relatively fit. I always had this propensity. I think it was brought on by the stupid shit I did when I was young. Whether it was smoking or when I was like seven, eight, uh, six, seven, eight years old when they were used to come by with the um, insecticide, the, uh, the fog machine on the military bases. They used to spray for mosquitoes. And like little assholes, we ran out into it. There's a scene from a movie called The Tree of Life with Sean Penn where they show that. It was Sean Penn and Brad Pitt were in that movie. And they just showed the kids running out to it because they thought it was cool. And we were running into the middle of that mist and breathing it in and stuff like that. When I was a young boy, I always had a problem breathing. I don't know if it was my lungs. It could have been from that shit. or I don't know. But um, they never told us not to. But what did we know? We were little idiots at that time. Well, we're not little idiots. What do you mean? Oh, seven, eight-year-old kid. They don't know what insecticide is. They didn't think adults would come down and spray poison. Maybe they, the adults didn't say, oh, this is harmless to humans. Did they really do tests on them? No, they didn't. So, but like I said, up at that point, I, and then I smoked when I, I started smoking when I was in my early 20s. That was stupid. And my drinking and all that stuff. But I stopped drinking a while ago. And I've been healthy and all those things. And you think, you know, I was slightly, I was slightly, there was a real slight thing when I came out of it for the first couple of days. I was thinking, how am I going to really, people are going to look at me and say, oh, wow, look at you. You were the spin instructor. Super healthy. Talking about how old you are. Trying to impress people, how healthy you are. And look what happened. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat for him. No. Uh, yeah, that bothered me a little. That did bother me a little. Not a lot. Not a lot. You know, it's funny in retrospect when you're, once I heard the seven minutes and all that stuff, I go, oh. And then I hear people say, you're really lucky. And they said, I could have been dead. And I'm thinking, oh. And usually from these, um, other than medical comments I got when I was talking to some of the doctors, I, I was asking, and nurses, I was asking, what do you think? What is my likelihood of a, a recovery? How am I going to be able to do some of the things I, I did before and this and that? And there was tentative uh, movements to people saying, yeah, we think you're going to be able to do those things. You know, the defibrillator we put in, we just want you to, you're going to have to take a recovery. You're going to have to check with your the doctor that's, I'm going to go over the electro, ah, there's a word for it, electrocardio physician, and there's a cardiac physician. So electrocardiac uh, physician is going to be talking about the interaction with myself with the device. And as I know, it's not, it's also, it's supposedly, I heard now, the second story I heard, it's a defibrillator and a pacemaker, which, oh, well, that's, that's new to me. I thought it was a defibrillator and stuff like that. So it's, if it's a pacemaker, it's always working. Defibrillator is only working when they need a shock. Okay. Uh, that's what I thought. I mean, in the, in the beginning. Getting back to that. I, uh, 
I did get the answer. I said, oh, you know what? There's a possibility I can. And I could do it moderately and people like that. And there was, I guess they didn't want to say, they didn't want to make me too depressed. So they didn't say to me, you can't do this spin class anymore or you shouldn't do the spin class. So maybe that's up to the cardiac doctor to say, hey, this is what you're going to be able to do. They didn't want to lay it all on me at the same time to say, hey, Jim, you know what? You know all that shit you did before? Well, you're not going to fucking do it anymore. Sorry for the cursing I'm saying already. And that's the reason why sometimes I write explicit down there. And people say, hey, Jim, do you have to curse? Well, sometimes I curse. You know what? It's more for effect. And I've read recently many in many different reference articles that uh, cursing could be a sign of higher IQ. So I must be a fucking genius. No, I'm not. Um, but also one of the things they were concerned about is the loss of mental acuity. That, you know, they were, because, you know, seven minutes is a quite a long time to be without oxygen to the brain. So I'm thinking, holy shit. What if it's happened? And I don't know. I always said in previous episodes that my, if I was going to have my choice between being a low achieving genius or a high achieving person of subnormal intelligence, I'd rather be a, a high achieving person of subnormal intelligence. Now, if I lost some IQ points and stuff like that, a high achiever, subnormal, that'd be even more subnormal. If I dip into the Forrest Gump area, I know I don't sound it, but I could be, who knows? I could be an idiot savant with the language, with very few thoughts dancing around in my head and the mouth just going on, you know, like I'm one of those uh, African greys, the birds that can just repeat things they heard. A recorder. A recorder of ideas with no no ideas themselves. Who knows? I could be. But really what struck me today, the thing that made me really think was you always hear the stories about when people are flatlining. There was a movie called Flatliners and all this stuff that they recall that, you know, even though you're not breathing and your heart's not pumping, your brain's still going. Because if the brain's not going, then it's game over, baby, right? So I have to say this. I remember right up to the moment that I rolled off the, I mean, suppose I, I was told I rolled off the bike. And, you know, it was real fortunate I didn't bang my head. I know you heard that before. But I must have banged my chest because I feel like if, I, if there was any feeling of a gunshot to the upper right side of my body, that's what it feels like. Above, you know, way oh, far away from the heart. Like I got punched but by the end of a, a baseball bat. Like someone took a baseball bat and jammed it into that area. But there's no bruise. So, you know, that would be more of a compression thing or because if I hit the bike, it would have left the bruise and things like that. But I rolled out, rolled on my back, and I was out seven minutes. 
And there's nothing. There's no recollection of it. And some people said, you know, there's a possibility that you could remember eventually what happened. Or there could be a partial memory. Or it could be all mixed up. But there was not dreams. There was nothing. There was nothing there. Now, I'm not suggesting there's nothing there. I'm just saying I don't remember anything being there. And there's times when you sleep when you don't remember. When I sleep, you're not, you don't always remember dreams. You don't dream all the time. So don't get all, you know, dismal about, oh, Jesus Christ, Jim, the Keys bartender, he'll tell me, he'll tell the truth. You know what? It would really probably be really good for the show if I told you something like this. Hey, you know what? You know what it felt like? It felt like I was on the people mover in Disney World. And I was coming up to stand in a express line. I got off the people mover at the express line for the ride. And then where was one of the rides? Um, Space Mountain. And there was a bright light at the door. And the line was short. There was only a couple of them. And I, I met the height requirement. Or I could have made it interesting. said, oh, there was a height requirement to be under. And I was over it. That would suck. That would be saying, saying oh, yeah, well, that means you're going to hell, Jim. Um, no. I could have said all these stories about me saying, oh, well, who did I meet? I met Elvis. I saw Elvis. I saw Jesus. I saw L. Ron Hubbard. I saw Betty White. You know, I would like to, I would, you know, I would love this. You know, if I saw my dad, that would be awesome. You know, but, you know, if I was going to explain this in a logical way, it would be like, why would I remember, why would I always remember something if I was not breathing? And I wasn't gone, because obviously if I was gone, gone, I wouldn't be back. You know, if I might, my, if you believe in that, if my spirit had left my body, it would be very unlikely that it would return back. Because there's, you know, for most of the people in our part of the world, there's only one person that did that. And I'm not purporting to be him. Because I've got only seven minutes. And But I don't put too much... Uh, I was a little worried that I didn't remember anything. You know, even a buzz or, you know, some light. But yet, listen, I used to drink the blackout. I remember those things. When you drank the blackout, I didn't remember anything. My body was all, and I'm going to copy, I'll use a copyrighted thing. John Mulaney said it. My body went all eye of the tiger when I blacked out. I dance, sing, talk. People say, man, you were crazy. And then I go, well, really? I don't remember. There was that one Monte Carlo night I went to, a casino night at a bar. And I'm a shitty gambler. Matter of fact, I stayed in a casino. I don't think I spent, I didn't gamble a penny. Well, not that you can play the penny slots, but who really plays the penny slots? You know, penny. But I was in a, I stayed in a casino for my dad's memorial. It's my dad's favorite place. And, um, 
I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go and gamble because I didn't gamble like my father, but I could sleep like my father. I mean, he didn't stay there normally, but it was fun. It was fun to stay there. Um, but what was the point there? The point was um, on the casino night, Monte Carlo night, when I did blackout, I did some amazing things. I mean, I made it home with about $600 more than when I entered. And checking my ATM at the time, I didn't only had one account. No, I didn't have any uh, credit cards on me or anything like that. Unless I robbed someone, which I don't think I would have gotten away of in the blackout. I, I made money in that. Now, if I could do that in a blackout when I'm drunk, I definitely and not remember a thing. You know, it's a possibility I wouldn't remember that. You know, something like that. And some maybe that's the way those brief lapses in our consciousness when we're about to pass. Um, maybe it's like that, like dreams. Sometimes you remember dreams. I've had a hard time sleeping the last couple, uh, well, the last five days. I had like maybe two nights of really good sleep and three nights of bad sleep. And... Uh, I do remember a lot waking up. I do remember a lot of those dreams. So yeah, when and even when I was out with that, I don't remember when I was coming out and I was talking to people. That's I guess that's more like a blackout when when they brought me back. I didn't remember what happened in the gym or the ER until like a couple minutes before because there were some real sweet people that I know real sweet people that I know that were taking care of me and I don't recall them. And, that, and that, that's actually more embarrassment than the other thing because, well, I mean, it would be nice to know if I saw, you know, grad, if I said before, and there's one other thing I'll compare it to before I finish up. It's like, if there's ghosts, I would like to meet them. That would be great. If there was ghosts, if there was aliens, any of those things. I love that stuff. I like to see it. So uh, I don't know what the point is right there, but the, the main point was uh, after all those things, I'm just happy to be alive today. And probably the next show, I'll talk about my new perspective. I want to uh, thank um, for... Um, Sean, Sean, uh, Sean Ryan. He's one of our avid listeners. He sent me a nice text, um, a nice email. I missed it on Sunday. And thank you for concern. And yes, the one good thing of this event is that I will be able to do more podcasts. Now, that is only contingent upon if you like listening to my podcast. If you don't listen to it, the one bad thing about my recovery is I'll be doing more podcasts. <laughs> so that's it. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. Thank you for being here. And I can honestly say it's really great to be here today. Bye and have a great day.